0: FM Radio for the Agile Community. www.agile.fm. Welcome to another episode of Agile FM. Today I have. Uh, JJ Sutherland with me, and he's the co author of a book many people know, The Art of Doing Twice the Work in Half the Time, which he co authored with his father, Chef Sutherland. But uh, this one here is all about his new book, The Scrum Field Book, uh, a masterclass on accelerating performance, getting results, and defining the future. He can be reached at JJ Sutherland. All straightforward. Thank you for joining, JJ. Thanks for having me. Well, JJ, before we get started, I need to introduce the uh, listeners here, why I'm a little bit nervous here, because you are an award-winning correspondent producer, <laughs> yeah, you, had the, you were the chief of the Baghdad Bureau of the NPR, you covered the wars in Iraq, Afghanistan, the Arab Spring, the aftermath of the 2011 tsunami in Japan, you're the CEO of Scrum Inc., and uh, your last name is Sutherland, and you're the CEO of Scrum, dot, uh, Scrum Inc., that means you're the son of Chef Sutherland. That's true. Okay. So we got that all squared away. Yeah. So I'm the amateur Agile <laughs> FM podcaster here with somebody from, from NPR. So I hope this is going well for you too. It absolutely is. Okay. You are speaking at the Agile Day uh, 2019, which is, uh, is going to take place on the 14th of November in New York. Uh, people interested in your talk and in the event or, overall is the AgileDay2019.org we want to talk a little bit about your uh, brand new book. Um, as far as I know, it's out. Did it hit the shelves already? Yeah, it, October
1: 1st. October so, 1st. Yeah, and I'm mm-hmm. really excited about uh, coming to Agile Day New York. Um, I'm really excited to meet the the community there and share some of the the, the, the stories I've uh, learned over the past few years. Mm-hmm. Very cool. We're, we're happy having you uh,
0: because there is a lot going on, open space where people exchange Ideas. You will be on the floor. You will be uh, speaking at the end, and uh, there will be a a big crowd because after your talk, there will be a a reception to our tenth anniversary, which is a big thing for us—the tenth annual. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, but you're you're
1: telling me I'm between people and beer? Uh, Yes, but (laughs) (laughs) but
0: you know we have done this a few times. People are still excited at that point, right? But then comes the announcement of beer and reception and uh, and celebration. We have also some surprises there as well. Uh, people will um, will be like, okay, this is the last talk. We're gonna go fully in. Um, anyway, so first, congratulations to the book. Uh, this is the book you wrote on your own. It's called a field book. So I don't know how many people are familiar with the term field book. I looked it up, and it's a little. Uh, it's a term that's uh, been used for engineers uh, in the past, for surveyors and people captured notes in it while they were discovering and uh, measuring. Why did you pick that name
1: for uh, a scrum book? It's a very interesting title. Because what um, what I really wanted to get since our last book, and it's been five years since uh, the, our first book came out, in the, in the scrum field book, I wanted to really get the sense of this is a book of stories. This is a book of Uh, All the places where Scrum Inc. has been, this is not all all my stories, we have a lot of really great great consultants and coaches at Scrum Inc., Mm -hmm. and doing Scrum all over the world in very different domains, um, and to show how Scrum can be applied in ways far beyond software. And also, I wanted to share um, exactly how Scrum Inc. thinks about uh, Scrum and to share some patterns of mm-hmm. what what you know what, if you're if you're going in you know, this is what you should, one of the, some of the things we hope you think about and also some anti patterns like things that we've seen over the past five years oh when this happens you know the you know the failure rate of the transformation is much higher and so what I really wanted to give everybody is exactly how uh, we think about Scrum exactly how we do it when we go in because uh, my goal in Scrumming School is to spread Scrum as far as we can. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to give people uh, a book that they could pick up and they could actually do this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, and so that's one goal. And then the other goal was to, as I said before, is really show how Scrum is a universal framework for accelerating human effort. And you know we worked, we've worked in you know with aerospace, with rockets, with uh, banks, with mm-hmm. we we'll make beer, with hospitals, um, and so it, it's and it's worked everywhere
0: mm-hmm um but, you know, hold sl- on. did you just slightly. say beer did you just say yeah beer.
1: i one of the one of my one of our clients is a beer manufacturer
0: mm-hmm. using scrum
1: U- uh, using scrum
0: mm-hmm. wow oh, so in in your book um you you have a couple of uh topics and obviously you i think you did this i mean super well right you connected Thank the you. the past with uh you know your your work as a as a correspondent, um, the stories you have to tell, and you connect them to Scrum. You talk about empowerment. You talk about waste, rules, complexity, things like that are mentioned in this book. Why are these why are these things so important for you, and why are they ending up in in this book?
1: Um, so, the ideas behind because no one does Scrum just to do Scrum, right? Mm. I run into that. Occasionally, with Agile, that the only thing that matters is the Scrum process itself, and it's not Scrum is designed to produce value, and to produce value, you need to understand why Scrum works the way it does. It's not enough just to know. You know, the scrum guide you mm-hmm. d- It's really helpful to know why that's, you know, complex adaptive systems theory. This is why you why it's worked this way. Um, and if you don't empower your teams and you crush them down, this is what's going to happen. And if you uh, have too many people on a team, this is what happens. Um, so it's not instead of being just theory. I really wanted to see, you yeah. know, say this is what happens. This is the theory behind what happens. And this is how the theory plays out in the real world.
0: Mm mm-hmm. And you, and you do have the, the backlogs uh, in each of the chapters, right, where you have like some actionable items for, for the readers to, to take. So it is a very practical
1: thing. Yeah, I wanted to give people, okay, you've read the book, but how do you actually apply? So I've tried to put some questions in there for the reader that they can do. Because one of, one of the points of the book that I wrote very strongly about is do something. This is what scrum really is it's a running an experiment, right? You run it you say, "I think this is the way we should go." You do something, you get the feedback from the customer or whoever, and they say, "Was that the right thing or not?" Mm-hmm. And But I see people often they'll spend six months or a year wrapping themselves up, "How are we going to do scrum you know in this environment, or we got to plan it all out?" It's like, sort of like this waterfall project to implement scrum, and it's just just do something mm. Mm-hmm. And that and that is where you're going to get the information, so you can iterate towards the right thing. Yeah,
0: one one thing that's uh, became obvious again while going through this uh, through the chapters of the book was um, busy versus done. And uh, mm-hmm. as an industry, I mean, I'm teaching Scrum, right? I'm I'm coaching, I'm training myself. But this is a topic; it's it's never ending, right? Uh, busy versus done to distinguish between the topics. Why? Why do you think we we are still going <laughs> after that? Even the Scrum Guide has a topic, that say, the definition of done, right? And we're emphasizing yeah. it. Why is this such a big struggle out there? And uh, I'm glad it
1: it found a, a a piece in your book. Well, I think it's a couple reasons. I was actually right before this interview talking to uh, a new client, and I was like, oh, how many well, how many projects does each team work on? And they're like, five. I'm like, well, um, why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and basically, they want everyone working, and so. People want uh, everyone to be working all the time, but that's not done. I was—I used to tell when I was in radio, uh, I would talk to the producers like on Morning Edition or something, and they said, you know, we worked so hard on this radio piece. And I said, listen, no listener cares how hard you worked. Mm-hmm. They cared that it's coming out of the box. The only thing that matters is what comes out of the box. Mm-hmm. And it's... Often, you know, you see management to say, you know, why isn't everyone? Everyone's really busy, so we want to do five projects at once. I mean, I've been a lot of clients where they have you know a hundred projects mm-hmm. and two hundred people. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> you know, it's like, what are you doing? And focusing is so much more powerful because mm-hmm. you spread yourself too thin. And and this is the kind of stuff. It's a lot. I feel like a lot of times uh, we go into companies and we're like, well, just stop doing that. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, we can't. And part of the reason is people are afraid to say no. Yes. And making choices. And the, and also the prioritization, if they have multiple top priorities. Well, you have multiple top priorities. You have no priorities. Mm-hmm. And most of the time it's set by like – I've seen this a lot. I'm not sure if most of the time. But you know, there's five different leaders or people or whatever, and they're all throwing priorities at the team. And they never talk to each other.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then when it doesn't get done, they blame the team rather than – the leadership itself that's causing all the problems.
0: Mm-hmm. Do, uh, do, do you think this is uh, somehow our culture that we are, you know, afraid of saying no? I mean, this is one of those things of workplace kind of attitude, you know, somebody ask you for some work you usually say yes right is is that a cultural yeah. thing is are there any cultures out there who say more
1: no than others <laughs> not that i've run into no yeah. it's like a human thing you want to be oh you want that sure mm. or you know if you're afraid of the boss oh you want that no problem boss i'll get that oh you want that too instead of saying okay you want this other thing well which of these other four things don't you want in mm. a re- and that's one of the powers of scrum is making work visible so you can say to someone who wants to come in oh there's another top priority," and you can say great we're agile we can switch which of these other things don't you want because mm. not everything's going to happen and
0: that's a hard topic to bring up right uh, that takes courage right to somebody to say, like, let's have this this difficult conversation i understand you want this but you know what is it you don't what you yeah. don't want instead right so it, it is, that is a cultural thing
1: and it's crazy. I mean, one of the stories I tell in the book is that this big financial institution, like you know, ten, twenty, forty, thirty billion dollars, they're running this thing where they they had a hard date they had to hit with merging these two things, and there's a regulatory date they had to hit. Mm-hmm. And so I was talking to one. Of the, they said they wanted me to come in, sort of. We want you to evaluate the state of our agility. It's like okay. So I went out, spent a couple of days with them, and I was talking to one of the scrum masters. And I said, uh, so how much work did your uh, team get done last sprint? It's like, oh, our velocity was, you know, about 21. We got about 21 things done. It's like, okay, how many how many are you bringing in uh, for the next sprint? He goes 183. Hmm. I was like, well, why? Because well, management says we have to. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, I'm going to call you back in a couple of weeks and see what happened. So I called him back and he asked, how many things did you get done? 17. How many bring in next sprint? 190. And it's just because management had said there's this fixed scope, fixed time thing Mm. rather than realizing, you know, they might not get it all. I actually wrote a report and I presented to management. I said today you get to pick which customers you're going to lose. Oh, you won't be able to. You you don't want it to be random when when what happens in six months when you have this thing has to be done Mm. because it's not all going to get done. And just insisting it all get done. That's fantasy. Mm. It's not going to get done. And uh, having leadership realize that, that, I mean, they never called me back, so.
0: Uh. Yeah, well, so some, some, some people out there don't want to hear the truth, right? They, they might have known that already. They might have suspected it. They might have suspected the advice, but then when they hear it, it's like it's, it is eye-opening, right? Yeah. Uh, there's another thing that was eye-opening to me, and that is the title of one of your subjects. That subject, was immediately when I... I looked at the uh, table of contents and there's the topic called people and places that seem crazy usually are. And uh, now I live in New York, you know, That's the, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, some people say that it's a crazy place. So it definitely, um, you know, caught <laughs> my attention this chapter. What do you mean by that? Uh,
1: well, New York is crazy. I, I live in New York and I love New York. It's my favorite city in the United States. Um, but it is kind of crazy, mm. uh, <laughs> which is part of what makes it so great. So but what I mean, what I, what I try to mean by that is that people will, you know, they'll be in an organization and everyone looks around like, why are we doing this? This is totally crazy. And they're like, well, that's the rules. That's just what we have to do. That's the way things work. And it's just like, no, it is crazy. And mm. if it if it is crazy. You know why is it like so i'll give you an example so when uh i was at uh, npr one of the one uh, at one point in my career there i was there for you know a long time so one point they said okay go down and fix morning edition the morning edition and have some problems i said okay great and i i went down there and i you know and i was the line producer and the line producer decides you know in what order all the pieces of and what news value they all have sort of like a product owner mm-hmm. and um so I had this thing, and I said, okay, I want two interviews. I don't know what the news was. I want to talk to the person in Baghdad and the person in Tokyo, and then we'll do this other thing. And they said, JJ, you can't do that. I was like, what do you mean I can't do that? You can't have two interviews in a row. I was like, why not? And I said, well, that, you, this, you're new here, JJ. This is how Morning Edition works. This is you know, this is our texture of the show. We want an interview, then a produced piece, then an interview or a couple produced pieces. This is, this is the soul of Morning Edition. Yeah, and I, I said, that's insane. And they said, "No, it's written down." They pulled a three-ring binder down, and it was written down that you couldn't do this. Mm. And I said, "I'm going to let you guys get away with this today, but I'm going to find out who wrote that rule." Mm. It took me three days, and I tracked down this guy named Jay Kernis, who was then wor- he, working at 60 Minutes, but he had been the first executive producer of this program back in 1978. And I said, "Jay, what is this? Mm. Why is there this?" And he goes, "Oh, well, the reel-to-reel tape machines couldn't rewind fast enough." So you couldn't go <laughs> from one piece to another. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> and this, and this was like 2005 when I was talking. There hadn't been a real real tape machine there for a while. And mm. it's just rules should fight for their lives. and Because cra- if something's crazy, it probably is.
0: Mm. Oh, Totally, yes. Uh, uh, and, there's a, there, I, I, and this is a perfect example. I think everybody listening to to us here right now uh, would probably have a story similar to this where you when you dig deeper, you, there's no... There's no reason, rhyme or reason why these orders exist in the first
1: place, right? Yeah. Or they were made, like a lot of times, right into it, it's like 20 years ago something happened mm-hmm. and they make a rule so it doesn't happen again. But then it just is a rule that's there for no reason. Right. Right. And so it wasn't that it was a bad idea at the time. Yeah. It might have been a really good idea at the time. Right.
0: Yeah, but
1: now right. it makes no sense.
0: It makes no sense, right? And uh, maybe it's even manifested in it not even be. Uh, reproduce anymore with the current technology it's it's amazing uh, uh so yeah so this caught a little bit of my in- uh, interest obviously this was very catchy uh title of the um of your topic they're awesome right uh yeah. there's another one uh it's kind of uh, an interesting intriguing one and that is structure is culture. um so you know when we work with some some uh, teams out there we often see like squads or tribes and you know, holacracy and, and things like that and uh, democracy at work and all of those things. And when you go into these kind of environments, the last thing they would probably think of is uh, that structure is culture. Why did uh, the, you choose that?
1: The reason I chose that is partially it's Conway's Law, mm-hmm. which you know states that organizations are uh, constrained to build systems that reflect the communication structure of their organization so I, I, I meant more communication structure and how people talk to each other because there's a structure mm-hmm. even in a holacracy it might not be visible but there is one and what when a like when a, when a more you know t- traditional company do, says hey we're going to go agile which i see all the time some ceo says i you know i saw a ted talk we're going to go agile in if you don't change how the structure works, the communication structure, and how that pathway works, it's just a buzzword, right? And so, mm-hmm. and the thing is, is how you're structured defines your culture. And if you just say our culture wants to be like this, if we just rename, okay, we're going to have all these people be squads, mm-hmm. but you don't change how they actually talk to each other. You don't change... How their managers interact with them, you don't change. How do people get promoted? How are how what? How do they get a bonus? You don't change that stuff. Mm-hmm. The smart people in your organization are going to look at look at you and say, ah, just another management fad. Well, I'll just wait it out. And uh, you know, cause I'm sure you've seen this, Joe. You go into a place, and all they've done is just you know called all the people the scrum. You know, the scrum master is the is the director, and the product owner is the <laughs> VP. <you know>? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. This is and go ahead. No, no.
0: I I agree. This is this is a typical setup, right? And uh, and that there is a there is a structure. I, I was just going more after the structure as uh, for some organizations, almost like a negative term. Uh, but there is a structure, right? Even if it's if the structure might not be outspoken uh, and defining. I was yeah
1: absolutely. I was read It was really interesting. So I was, I was reading some f- uh, feminist theory from the late seventies, early eighties. And what what uh, this woman was saying is. If there's no – if they say, oh, we're a flat organization, there's no structure, that means there's no visibility into what the power structure actually is mm-hmm. and there's no formal way to get inside of it because it's all the people who just talk to each other. Oh, it's just my friends. You know, we're all flat. I just talked – so there is a power structure that is happening. Mm-hmm. But if it isn't formalized in some way, it can be discriminatory. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a really because we all talk about hey we want the flat organization we want you know these holocracies or whatever, and it changed my thinking a little bit of saying well there is a structure the power structure there whether it's enumerated or not, mm-hmm. and it's probably better to make it visible rather than hidden.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um,
1: and like I think you know if you went into a holocracy. There's a power structure. Mm. I don't know what it is. It's not very visible, mm-hmm. but but it's there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or um, Valve, is a very famous. You know, they're a software company in uh, in Seattle, and um, you know they make video games and video game distribution platforms. And they're very famous for being completely flat. And they were completely flat until there was a really big problem, and all of a sudden the founders came out of the, of the woodworks and fired a bunch of people. Mm. So, you know, mm. it, it's there.
0: It's yeah, it's there. Right. What's also there is that um, you mentioned in, in in your writing here, and that there is management and there is leadership. And there's one thing I, I was thinking about asking you, and uh, and especially with your background from from NPR and the from the areas you have reported from, um, I heard somewhere in a in a paper or so. I think it was in a Harvard Business. Uh, a journal some I heard a, uh, a sentence that was uh, management is for peace times and leadership for wartime
1: It's very interesting um, that, That's really good. I've actually been working uh, with some military units recently and they said, you know, we're in peacetime And it's horrible, right? We you mm. know follow these rules below it, But when we're in combat and I was talking to this marine he goes I get it in combat the enemy is our customer And they let us know what we're doing wrong really quickly. Mm -hmm. And it's that feedback loops. And it's what could we accomplish in peacetime if we had those kind of tight feedback loops? Like why, you know, we lose the abilities that are so hard won and the knowledge that is so hard won in Iraq. Mm -hmm. You know, thousands of people died and we learned a ton of lessons. And you come back, and it's like, okay, well, we're not going to fight that kind of war again. So we're not going to remember all, how to do that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, how, I, was, I was giving a speech um, at a defense uh, industry thing the other day, and I said, well, how many how many young men are, are going to have to die for? A, a young men and women are going to have to die for uh, us to learn that again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and, and what I mean by you know you know management rather than leadership is that. You know, I think, I mean, one level is kind of obvious. It's like management is good if you want to get compliance, right? Mm-hmm. You want people to do what you want to do. But leadership is saying, hey, we're going this way. How can I help you get there? Mm-hmm. And there's a big difference there.
0: Huge difference, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I just wanted to you know, check in with you because you obviously have seen uh, – Scenes, why do you, you know, if you would agree even with that statement of uh, peace versus war and, uh, and the leadership style? Uh, but it is, if you think about it, it's the goal, it's the vision, it's the, the, the strategy. And obviously, if you can also motivate and create that kind of impulse within, in this case, the army or in a team or in an organization to get after a goal and, and implement certain things. So, leadership is a, is a very different skill, right?
1: Yeah, and I, and I do want to be very clear, though, is that what happened in Iraq this general tommy franks mm-hmm. who you know disbanded the iraqi army and you know founded the insurgency the um, so many of the leader, uh, leaders of the general officers who were there those first four years and we were losing that war because they were managers mm-hmm. they weren't listening they weren't getting the feedback they insisted on doing things the old way even though people were dying mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so it's not that the military is magic they are not mm-hmm they had some really clever and really influential generals who came in, General Fratéas and McChrystal, and they really turned it around mm-hmm. by changing how the people talked to each other and changing the system and getting much more in a sort of an agile way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But, and, it was, and they beat you know Qatar and Iraq. And then, of course, once they left and there wasn't president, I mean, we weren't losing a war anymore, all of a sudden, all these people that have been sharing information decided, you know, we've been sharing a little too much. And because there wasn't a framework like mm-hmm. Scrum... It was based on the individual, you know, uh, intelligence and charisma of these two men, were able to get it through, mm-hmm. and they were, it was dependent on a hero. And so, of course, when the hero leaves, everything falls apart, and you can't do it again. Why? Wow. And what Scrum tries to do is make it replicable.
0: Mm-hmm. No, it's uh, it's very interesting to connect these things, and also. You know, we, we often work in IT organizations or even in product organizations, etc., and we're using Scrum. But to just think outside uh, the box and in other industries and how the concepts still apply, right, This is just, uh, fascinating. Um, one thing towards the end of our, our podcast and time together here with, uh, with you, there's uh, another thing I want to touch on, and this is a word called technical debt. Um, mm-hmm. and you make a reference uh, from technical debt, and I think everybody is familiar with uh, the term technical debt, but you also mentioned organizational debt and uh, how you connect lean, uh, in particular here, reducing waste and uh, making lean more effective and, um, and using lean concepts to um, you know, get rid of organizational debt but it also creates new problems. And I wanted to explore that a little bit with you because A, we are connecting this with lean and Toyota and the, the, the roots of Scrum and everything, right? But also that too much lean might also not be helpful in a Scrum environment. That's also something you mentioned in your book.
1: Absolutely, I mean, I think the the, the, the lean toolkit, uh, the Toyota production system, has a lot of really good ideas in it like, and, and ways to identify waste, like where are the w- wait times, where are all those things and, you know, I think I, I use it almost everywhere I go because you know, th- they have really good examples and, and ways of doing things. But if you do it too much – like I was working with this one company and they got so – lean because they, they made this thing where they invented a new kind of material and they could just sell it mm-hmm. like, you know for pennies. And so they just cranked it out and just sold it and sold it and sold it and they got really lean – on this on their uh, manufacturing and they got really lean in their product development and then all of a sudden the market changed and they didn't have the innovative capacity mm-hmm. to change so a competitor a younger faster competitor they said "Oh, well, it's going to take us 18 months to make this new thing mm-hmm. that the customers are demanding and so one of the competitors said well we'll do it in six because they didn't have the capacity anymore, mm-hmm. so you don't want to have no slack in the system. You want to have some, because you've got to keep on innovating. Mm-hmm. Or if there's a problem in that lean line, do you, do you even have a group of people that can say, okay, we've been focusing on lean manufacturing and getting it, but now we have a problem. We need to have a scrum team to figure out how to creatively how to solve the problem.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you only, if you only have two people in the plant, that's hard to do.
0: Mm-hmm. It's interesting, right, because there are um, a lot of Scrum teams out there that use Scrum robotically, right, as, a, as an engine of building things, and, and they might work on removing organizational debt here in, in form of lean practices over and over, and it feels like a highly efficient machine for them, right? And they might, mm-hmm. not e- they might not even see the problem. They might not. They actually feel really good about what they're doing, but they don't, they don't have the space for innovation anymore.
1: Right and if you don't and i mean you know in the in the way that, especially in the technology business mm-hmm. the way it's changing so fast if you don't if you don't can't innovate, someone will do that for you and mm-hmm. blow you out of business oh totally yeah so i I think that's uh that's an interesting point,
0: and uh, you said slack right uh slack is beside the tool a lot of people are using slack is a negative <laughs> word right so right. slack is not something like hey, we get some good slack here
1: right uh. Right. It's well, outside. would you, think about it, if you had a, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, a, you know, a computer, would mm-hmm. you run it at 100 percent capacity all the time? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that yeah. computer would break. Yeah. You, like, you know, servers are, you know, they roll like 50, 60 percent load. Mm hmm. Right. So they don't overheat. So, they don't, you know, all sorts of reasons. Yeah. But, you know, it's the same thing in, in an organization. hmm. If you run it at 100 percent all the time and something new happens. hmm you don't have any capacity to deal with it. That's right. Well, uh,
0: JJ, there is a subtitle to your book, A Masterclass on Accelerating Performance, Getting Results and Defining the Future. And uh, I was wondering, so what? Do you, what's your intent with the subtitle for the, for the readers? What do you want these readers to take away from this book um, in terms of masterclass? Are, uh, is that really um, an actionable item in terms of the backlogs? Do you uh, see people to their own personal plans around this or what's what's your intent around
1: once people have gone for the book my intent is if they haven't already had the mindset shift of really shifting their mindset into an agile mindset and it's also teaching or i try to anyway mm-hmm. teaching people how to do it and giving them the examples and stories excuse me again On how it can be done. Mm-hmm. And so it's really trying to be something you can pick up and do. And the thing is, you know, sometimes I I I feel like um sorry, my phone just went off. Can you can edit that out. Mm-hmm. Uh sometimes I feel like people do scrum to do scrum. And you want to accelerate performance and make teams, you know, produce value happier. Uh, be happier, first mm-hmm. of all, you know, produce value more quickly. Um and you know, just Quite at a sustainable pace, but just, you know, get faster and faster and faster and better and better and better as a team, right? But at the same time, you only always want to get results. I mean, if I talk to people in the C-suite, they don't care about Scrum at all. Mm-hmm. They say, well, we want better results. Scrum is the way to do it. I'm in. But It's it not has- for the name, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. not the name. And it's not for, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so you really need to have get results and by when i say defining the future is i think what scrum allows people and organizations to do is to pick what their future is because a lot of times people individuals or organizations say this is just the way it is Mm -hmm. you know there's nothing i can do to change it and it's you know these rules have you know the the power of natural law Mm -hmm. and i want people to walk away saying i could claw at that. You know, the future isn't fixed. I can actually make change and I can make change rapidly mm-hmm. and I can iterate on the change to see if I'm doing the right kind of change. Right. Don't accept. And this is what I tell every Scrum Master I train. Don't accept the status quo. You can define the future, mm-hmm. but you have to try.
0: It's oh, awesome. Yeah. JJ, you're going to be at the uh, Agile Day uh, agileday 2019org You will be speaking there. You're going to speak about topics of your book. Mm-hmm. Um, there will be books there. Uh, Selling so you, books there? Yeah, exactly. If people walk up to you and would like a signature from you, not a problem,
1: right? Absolutely. You like you, problem, right? Absolutely. No. <laughs> so <laughs> funny. Put you on people, the spot. Sometimes people ask me to do that. Yeah. They, they, you know, I mean, if you don't mind, I'm like, listen, it never gets old. Yeah. All <laughs> <So> right. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So we're looking forward to your talk. We're looking forward to uh, reading more about
0: um, your thoughts. And uh, say hello to everybody at Scrum Inc. Say hello to your uh, father, Jeff, who has also been on Agile FM in the past. And uh, greetings from New York. See you in November. See you then.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Agile FM, the radio for the Agile community. I'm your host, Joe If you're interested in more programming and additional podcasts, please go to www.agile.fm. Talk to you soon.